Hello and welcome to part two of the Talking Bollocks Christmas special. Yes, it is me. It is Howard H. Smith, lead singer of Acid Rain, stand-up comedian, yada, yada, yada. I ain't going to do that today. No, whatever, you know. You've, you've heard all that rubbish before from me, haven't you? And the same about Patreon and everything else. Fucking hell, sign up if you want. There's a support this podcast link in the description. Click that, take you there, you get loads of stuff, etc, etc. This particular podcast is all about giving you something interesting to get your ears around between Christmas and New Year. And so here it is. Is You had the first Christmas special with Beth Rawls, which I hope you enjoyed. This one is very much focused on good old thrash metal. As you already know, because you know who the guest is, you've read the description, so you know what's coming up. And with, to take a break with tradition, what I would like to do is crack on straight away. I'm not going to do the normal jibber-jabber about the bloody news and all of that and what everybody's doing and all of that crap because, well, I'm kind of not going to. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's, it's, just, it's just not my thing today. On this particular day, I want to get this podcast to you guys and I want you to just be able to dig straight in. So, without further ado, no fucking about, let's get on with it. I was so pleased to get Randy on the show. Um, he was very generous with his time and it was an absolute pleasure to talk to somebody who was at the forefront of thrash metal and most importantly, um, the sound of thrash metal and making thrash bands sound like thrash bands. This is a guy who knew what he was doing. Um, every single record of his that I own sounds great. And this was fantastic. Really enjoyed it. Hope you do too. This is Randy and I talking just a few weeks ago. Hello, Randy. Hello, Randy. It's Howard. Hi, Howard. Hello there. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, thank you. Excellent. Um, uh, are you? Uh, is all the various madness calmed down near where you are? Uh, mostly. Mostly. I'm 99.9% sure that everything's okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah. You, you, you can't. You can't. You can't have. Um, uh, the United States of America being um, held to ransom by one man. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess that's one way of looking at it, yeah. <laughs> um, so look, first of all, um, thank you so much for doing this. I really do appreciate it. Um, when I when I first tweeted you, I... You know, I was—I uh, had my fingers crossed for any kind of reply, even if it, even if it was just a like, go away and leave me alone. Um, so, um, so thanks for coming on and doing this. I really do appreciate it. Oh, well, you're welcome. Thank you, thank you. Now, I, I wanted to kind of—I wanted to go back to your 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 very beginnings because you started out um, playing in punk bands yourself, if I'm correct. Uh, no, I started out uh, playing in basically uh, what we call the Top 40 band, but we were playing rock music in clubs in Orange County. And uh, I had an original band, and we were rock. We were kind of like the bands of the late 70s, you know, Fleetwood Mac, Heart, things, something like that. And um, um, I, I built a studio in my parents' garage, 
with an eight-track uh, test cam machine, and we recorded some demos. And I ended up recording some punk rock friends of mine, and they told their friends about it, and 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 that's how I got started with the punk rock. Was recording the punk rock, but uh, but my as far as playing, I wasn't playing in the punk bands. I was playing in rock bands. Right. Okay. Okay. And what? Um. um... Yeah, what what made you? I mean, I'm you know I'm sat here as somebody who, you know, wanted to wanted to get a band together. What made you have that same kind of inspiration to say I'm going to put some Tascam machines in my parents' garage and and, and build a studio? Um, well, uh, I had a songwriting partner, Linda Schultz, and we were trying. To, we wanted to get a record deal, so you need demos. So I was making my own demos. The, the first ones we did, we did on a four-track TIAC machine in an apartment. And then, you know, it just sort of escalated from there. It's like, you know, okay, well, I figured out how to make this work. Now, what's the next thing? I need more tracks. So um, my parents were there, and they said I could use the garage. So it was like, okay, let's get the eight-track machine and stick it in the garage, and then let's see what we can do in there. And and that's when that's when uh, my friends heard about what I was doing, and uh, one of them uh, I played with in a, in a rock band in St. Louis, <clears throat> and he was now doing this punk rock band. He said, "Hey, will you record my band?" And I said, "Sure." So uh, I just wanted to make my own uh, demo. Right. And okay. you know, I just got into it. I, you know, I really. Um, uh, I, I love the idea of multi-track recording and making and and trying to make a record. Yeah, and and so whilst making those demos, did, did you find yourself kind of falling falling in love with the process as well? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed the recording process, and it was always exciting and fun, and and in uh, in um, yeah. Yeah, that's oh, yes. that, that's that, that's that's really interesting. That's really interesting because I know you know there is um, there is de- there's definitely something magical that happens in the studio when it when it's right and you're and you know and you it's going well. To be honest, there's something magical when it's yeah. all going when it's all going wrong as well. It's just a black magic. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, but I, I I can see how that could become. Uh, addictive because I know when I'm in the studio it's 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 like it's it's another world you know there's invariably very few windows and you work odd hours and you you it, it's it's a complete other kind of existence isn't it it is it is it's um but but you know uh when when you get it right it's incredibly rewarding and you know now I can look back on those those uh you know on the 80s and early 90s and and i've got a stack of records over here you know they're they're documents you know like like a movie yeah uh, or a book you know it, it's a document of what happened back then and uh and it's a good document and and uh it's you know it's like uh it's a snapshot of time it's 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 there for people to uh, to check out forever 
Well, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, and uh, I mean, I have some subscribers to this to this podcast, and I've got some some of their questions for you later on. And um, there was there was a great deal of uh, surprise and excitement at the fact that you were um, that you were coming on because um, as much as we you know we we were all inspired i was inspired you know to 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 form bands and um and and things that have gone on to you know inform my entire life the way those records sound is is just as important and and the fact that you've you know been responsible for some of the the genres well i say the genre for many genres classic albums um is 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 quite incredible because i mean you 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 started out on what is a an absolute classic album the first suicidal albums i mean that's the kind of your your entry point into sort of thrash metal hardcore crossover that was kind of like was that the first real thing that you got involved with that was where you became of aware that right this is actually you know an a, an album on a record label there was um there was one record before that that got me started, and it was a compilation of punk bands from Orange County, Long Beach, and L.A., so the whole L.A. area, but the greater L.A. area. So Long Beach and Orange County were a little bit separate from the, from the L.A. scene. And um, <clears throat> uh, Steve Sinclair and Ron Gowdy, guys that went on to become uh, a record execs at uh, uh, indie labels like Combat and uh, yeah. Enigma. I know, I know Steve uh, Sinclair. Yeah, yeah, Steve Sinclair and Ron Gowdy were the guys. They pulled together all these bands and they asked me to to do the recording. And we did ten uh, ten bands, I think, or eleven bands, and they included uh, Social Distortion and Forty Five Grave and super heroines and um, uh, j- just a, a, a bunch of uh, really good punk bands that were starting out there in 1980. And um, it was Lisa Fancher at Frontier Records, who's, um, uh, I don't, you, you must be familiar with her label. They're a yes. really, you know, she's a definitive punk label. She's been around forever. She's still there, you know, just the, the oldest punk label in the world it has to be and um uh she she heard um christian death it was christian death was also on that compilation album and she heard that and gave me a shot at the suicidal tendencies right so it was it was really hell and that band, that compilation was called hell comes to your house and it's a great compilation by the way it, it's really it, it's it's a really good record and that got me into suicidal, and then suicidal got me elsewhere. Uh, yeah, and I mean, what a what a great album to be um, to be a part of. I mean, that was that was a, a an album that definitely sort of helped formed my t- tastes in my formative years. Um, was it was it any different? I mean, were you were you were you coming in engineering on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was an engineer on the on the suicidal tendencies record and you know uh, uh, the the producer was the guy <clears throat> excuse me who did the the photos and he hadn't really produced any records so uh it was pretty much lisa and i that did the production um 
and so you know I I was really really responsible for the the sound of that record and um yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can't. I can't think yeah. of anything. I can't think of anything more eighties and punk than the guy who was producing it was also doing the photos. So, um, uh, yeah, right. That sounds about right. Um, right, right, right. No, no. He was the guy that took the famous picture on the cover where they're hanging upside down. Well, now that, now yeah. that, is, that was is worth his worth his involvement alone. Just taking that one picture. No. I'm saying he's a cool guy, but yeah. he didn't know a lot about making records. <laughs> so when did you, um, uh, and when did you kind of graduate from um, engineering to producing? Um, well, you know, I, I, I got into the, the engineering business full time and um, uh, I spent, I did a stint as a staff engineer at a recording studio called Music Grinder on Melrose. Oh yes, and it was a it was a great studio, and um, I did a bunch of amazing uh, sessions there. And I worked with um, Toto and um, uh, Jean Luc Pondy and Alan Holsworth and all of these amazing artists, and um, uh, got a great experience, but. It turned out that the the owner, Ron, didn't appreciate me uh, talking to the client so much. I was real excited about the music, and I would end up chatting with the musicians and talking about what we were doing, and, and uh, assistant engineers were supposed to be seen and not heard. And uh, it just, I don't know, it just worked out that I was always, he, he, kept, he kept stumbling upon me having chatting up the, the artist. And we weren't supposed to do that. So anyway, he fired me. He fired me. And not because I was a bad assistant, but because he thought I was a, a producer and, and you know, uh, an artist and needed to go and do that. And that I wasn't well suited to be an assistant engineer. So I went out on my own. And uh, um, uh, a lot of the bands, the way the way I saw it, the bands that were, being recorded by um, uh, the thrash bands didn't need producers really. They just needed a good engineer that would translate what they wanted to uh, to get the sound that they wanted, and 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 we didn't need to change their songs or work on the arrangements too much or anything like that. We just needed to document them, and that was my style as a producer. It was very documentary, and it was basically. Um, uh, yeah, the, the record companies who, who knew me, um, just sort of gave me the handle and said, here, why don't you just do the whole thing? You produce this. And, um, um, uh, and it went from there. So, um, the reason I got into it was because I, I got booted out of being an assistant engineer at the nice studio and <laughs> was sort of forced to. You know, I was forced to go out on my own and try to do it, and it was. Uh, it turned out to be easier to get the gig as uh, as as the uh, as the producer, <laughs> and um, that's just the way it worked. Yeah, oh, brilliant. I mean, I and I I was just sat here nodding along with what you were saying as well because back in those in those early years, um, uh, you know, thrash was a completely you know, uh, unknown musical force. 
and as you can hear uh, as you can hear on many of those albums as well when they're in the hands of people who didn't know what they're doing they're still using old school tricks like covering everything in reverb to 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 try and make this to to try to try and make it sound good and um yeah what you needed was to listen to the bands because the bands knew exactly how they wanted to how they wanted to sound that's correct um um so again my uh philosophy about recording i was very documentary i always assumed that the bands were the best experts on how they should sound and listened to them and worked really hard to to accomplish what they wanted and um and that was actually informed from from the artist point of view uh, if you go back when i was songwriting and making demos um at one point my partner and i got signed to um uh, a management deal, which was really a record deal that they were going to sell to a record company. And part of that management deal, we did demos and I hated the demos. I hated what they, you know, we went into the 24 track studio with professional producer and all this stuff. And I hated it. They changed our sound. It didn't sound, it, it just, it, they just missed it. Yeah. And from that point on, I, said I'm going to be the guy that's the recording engineer I'm going to get what the musicians want so if you're an artist and a musician and you come in the studio with me you're going to like what comes out of those speakers I'm not going to tell you what you need to sound like you're going to tell me and we're going to work together and get it so um, I had, I had, I'd had the experience of going in the studio with a producer that said here's what you need to do and here's what we're going to do with your with your songs Here's what we're going to do with your sound to make you whatever yeah. commercial, right? To make you sell. And 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 like you said, that's just it's it, it's ripping it's ripping everything apart. And and I guess that must have been a well, that is a very very um, important experience because that informed pretty much the rest of your career. It did. You're, I mean, it was it was it was like it set the imperative. The, the most important thing was the artist knows what they are what they want to sound like, and the artist is the best expert on that. Not the record company, not me, not some critic, not anybody else. The artist. These are the guys that know what the sound is supposed to be. Listen to them, and and the bands love that. That's why they, you know, you know. That's why I got gigs. I got a lot of gigs because the bands were very happy with that. And yeah, and and the, and that. Uh, but when you look at the philo- you know, the kind of the philosophy of um, of record labels, especially at the time, um, you know that that it was almost the exact opposite. You know, you were given a producer because the the producer was basically an extension of the record company, and he was going to make the record that the label wanted, and you were basically going right. and doing the exact opposite. Right, right, and that continued. Um... There, there are very bad stories about bands that, you know, um, made records with producers that didn't sound like the band and they didn't, it didn't happen. Um, so anyway, uh, yes. Yeah. Um, I, 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 that was not the way it went with record companies. When we started, there was no thrash music. This was, it didn't exist. We, yeah. the, these guys were the, were the, uh, the people who invented it, you know, and, we didn't know exactly what we were going to get, you know. It, it, it 
just kind of manifests itself from from where they were coming from. Um, but you, you were so, all, yeah, you, the, you were, but you were also, but you were also uh, involved in two, two of, well, two of the most significant death metal albums um, around that time as well. With obviously, you know, possessed seven churches and and a couple of years later, um, death screamed bloody gore. Um, That's right. When when you know when you were, I mean, I, I know possessed were incredibly young. Um, at the time, when you were when you were dealing with 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 possessed and and, and later on death, um, were you were you able you know were you able to see? Hang on, this is this is going somewhere just slightly different. This is kind of this is going to break out as a genre of its own, or did you just think it was it was just going to you know just more thrash but just slightly darker? Um. I knew I knew that they were more much more extreme, uh, but yeah, I, I saw it as just a more extreme version. But I took the same approach. I said, "I'm going to get the sound that Possess wants, and I'm going to get the sound that Death wants." And trust me, those guys knew what they were doing. They came in the studios incredibly prepared and knew exactly uh, where they wanted to go with stuff, and and. They were the ones that came up with the sound. That's not a that's not a Randy Byrne sound. That's possessed and that's death. Those are the guys that that did that. I just helped them get it on tape. And and like you said, that's that's why you were getting a lot of gigs as well because you you kept churning out great sounding albums. The bands were happy, and and all goes back to the label and all goes out and sells. And we're in a t- we're in a time where when these albums are dropping everybody is incredibly excited um and you've i mean again but you also you were dipping your toe still in in hardcore i mean one of my well two of my favorite all-time hardcore bands would be um well would be two bands who put two albums out and were both vastly different from each other which was um dbc dead brain cells and the crumb suckers because you basically recorded two hardcore albums, two you know a, a hardcore debut with both bands, and then they both went off and did something completely crazy and different on the second album. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're 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 definitely good bands. The other one in there that was uh, that what I would throw into that group would be Ludacrist. Oh, of course, another uh, yes, and another another of my favourite. I mean, I've I've got I've got all of these albums. Um, and um, uh, the yeah, immaculate deception. Actually, I, I managed to pick that up as a, as a double. Exactly. Uh, yeah, got that as a double disc with Power Trip, which was remastered a few years ago, um, and and still sounds absolutely fucking great. By the way, um, but how do you how do you treat? Um, and I'm thinking more sort of DBC and Crumb Suckers. So you go in, you do those first albums with them both, and they're both great. You know hardcore records and then you go back to you go you know back with crumb suckers and the the second album is completely different and and dbc is is almost like a sort of sci-fi almost kind of rush adventure um that must have been quite a uh, you know quite a surprise from from your point of view to see how what you know how they changed musically directionally in such a short space of time um, no, I, 
I don't remember it that way. You know, I just went with the bands, and and again, it was always the band that was uh, the guiding force. So right, yeah. You know, I'd follow them wherever they went, and and uh, you know, again, my uh, basic principle was the bands are the best experts on how they want to sound. Don't mess with them. Yeah. Don't interrupt them. Don't get in their way. You know, and go with the flow. Figure out what they want to do and go there. And uh, you know, they again, it, it's it's their sound. It's not me creating this sound. It's just me capturing it. Yeah, yeah, and well, that kind of sort of takes us on to, um, I guess your um, yeah your 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 main your major calling card, which would be um, uh, P cells, but who's buying? Um, how did yeah. it how did it come about? How did it come about? You you ended up working on that. Well, um, I actually was 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 taking a break from uh, engineering and producing. I um, left Hollywood and went out and lived with my parents again out in Antelope Valley, out in the desert. And uh, I was studying computer science and going to Cal State Northridge. And uh, I was a full-time computer science major when that record came up. And um, I was just kind of burned out on the on on Hollywood and the record making. It, it, it's a cynical business. I mean, it, it's a it's it's a hard business to to be in. Um, yeah. And um, um, anyway, I I needed to take a break from it, and uh, and I did. And and my friend Steve Sinclair called me and said, "Look, I got this band, and you're the guy that needs to do it." And I said, "Steve, I'm 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 not working right now. I'm going to school, and I'm doing this computer science thing. It's very interesting." And he said, "Look, just go listen to the band and tell me what you think." So I did. I, I drove down to L.A. and went to their rehearsal studio, this big, giant, there were these big buildings with like a hundred studios in them in downtown L.A. And I went in there, Miss Lily's little rooms, and they played their set. And I was just blown away. I mean, sitting there, listening to them run through their set, I went, this is it. This is the hit record. This is the one. This is going to be huge. And uh, I quit school the next day and moved back to Hollywood and made the record. Wow. Wow. That's <laughs> by the way, that's the only time I've ever had that feeling. It's the only time I've ever sit sat there and went, This is it. This is this is gonna be huge. Everybody's gonna to want to hear this one. This is a great record, you know. Um I listen to a lot of bands. I like the bands when I go hear them, but uh and I was right, you know. I was right that one time. Well, you, well, you certainly were. I mean, that's that, that's an incredible. I mean, do do you look back that? Do you look back that back now and think, wow, I really, uh, you know, <laughs> the uh, the confidence of youth, where you just think, right, you know, I'm going to put my entire future in the hands of working on this one album. Um, it was just obvious that, you know, it, it was so exciting. They were so good. They were so tight. Um, and, and, and the, 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 the songs were so intense that, you know, it just, it, it, you couldn't ignore it. It was like, yeah. it was like these guys are on fire. I need to, I need, I need to do this. You know, I can go to school anytime. This band's only good. This opportunity is right now. So, um, 
yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't think very much about it. It was, it was an easy, simple decision. I didn't, I didn't uh, sweat over it at all. I mean, it was, I made the decision sitting in the room, listening to them go through their set. I mean, you probably were, you know, halfway through the set, and I'd already made up my mind. And I literally moved to Hollywood the next day. Um, and were the were the band aware of the the commitment that you've made? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I you know that's that's a good question. I don't think I mentioned it to them that that uh, um, that that was the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you never you never know how that might go down. Hang on, we don't want a computer science major doing our album. Well, you know, I hadn't been I hadn't been out of Hollywood, but uh, a couple of months. So, you know, it, it wasn't like I was I was gone from the scene for a long time. I just took a little break and and found myself doing something that I thought was interesting and stimulating and 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 in a different way. You know, um, I don't know. I, I'm a strange guy. I like calculus. I thought it was really fun, so I don't know. <laughs> um, it was uh, it was just different. But once I was presented with the band, Steve got me. Steve convinced me to go listen to them, and and that's all I needed to do. And do you, and 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 so that's how so many stories in the music business start. Is you know somebody convincing somebody else to to go and see someone, to go and listen to somebody. You know, it's it's that moment. It's that moment, and where someone says, "Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go," um, and that's when, and that's when great things happen. Um, what was it like? What well, was it? Steve Sinclair, Steve Sinclair, and I had done a number of records. We'd done a bunch of records at Combat. Yeah, we, you know, we, we, I don't know, maybe we did six or eight or ten. I don't know, it was something on that kind of scale, and and so we had a history. So when he told me, "Look, you know, you've got to go and listen to this band." you're the guy that needs to do it. This is the right record for you. And they're, they're just unbelievable. You have to go see them to believe it. And so I did. He was right. Steve Sinclair was a great A&R guy. He was, he was, uh, he signed a, a ton of great bands. Well, it, well, I'm, I'm, do you know what? That I'm going to take that as, I'm going to take that as a, um, uh, potentially as a compliment. Cause he tried to, he tried to sign, um, my band back in the day um when he was running um mecha- really? the mechanic yeah the when he was running the uh, mechanic imprint through mca right and yeah. um and yeah you guys, you guys turned him down <laughs> well our, our, our man our manager did but on the understanding that um he said uh, yeah it's, it's that old line isn't it um he said um he said well he's offered us a deal but that's based on the demos that we've played him i want to go back with the completed album and that will increase our bargaining power and of course by the time he went back with the completed album um thrash had <laughs> thrash, thrash had all, well had already moved on to basically um it started kind of fading away um and uh, and and all of us and and it was Steve's turn. It was Steve's turn to turn down even a meeting with our manager. So um, yeah, we uh, we 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 live uh, we live to regret that. I I think so. I think so. He was a good A and R guy. He was a good record exec. And you know, if he if he would have signed you and believed in you, you would have you know he would have pushed you 
So anyway, that's yeah. an interesting one. What was the name of your band? Um, Acid Rain, but the um, the rain is spelled R E I G N. Um, and uh, and okay. no, that would have been great, man. We'd have been we'd have been label mates with Voivod and Violence. Ah, oh, it would have been it would have been marvelous. But instead, what I got to do was tour with quite a few people um, that you work with. Well, probably the band we toured with the most was um, was Nuclear Assault. Um, who you you, oh. you basically were in house producer for those guys, weren't you? We did a we did a number of records, yeah, and all of those records had Casey McMacken on it. I need to get Casey's name out there. Casey was uh, another engineer who worked at the Music Grinder with me. Yeah, and at some point when I was producing, I started um, seeing the advantage of having an engineer, so I could focus more on the flow of the session and l- listening to the performances and. Uh, you know, just have a little more bandwidth by not being attached to the knobs. And Casey was a brilliant uh, recording engineer and and really co-equally responsible for the sound that we got for Nuclear Assault and Megadeth and a lot of those bands. He doesn't get enough. Uh, he doesn't get enough airtime. Um, you know, he was he was uh, he was co-pilot and and a really good one. So. Um, I just want to mention him. Yeah. And yeah, he. I remember, you know, and he was there for all of the nuclear assault stuff. I well, I mean, I've, I, you know, that again. This is these are all my. Um, it's it's talking talking to you is like literally everything you worked on was in was in my record collection. Absolutely all of it. Um, and and there's something about. I was I was very fortunate. And I was in the right place at the right time, and I knew the right people, like Steve Sinclair, to get uh, you know all these bands. I mean, I was it, there was a lot of luck involved with this, and a lot of uh, you know just being in the right place at the right time to to get all this to happen. I, I mean, we did a, we did good work. You know, I did good work, but um, there's definitely some luck involved in getting that set of bands back-to-back, you know what I mean? Oh, I mean, it's I, just, yeah. It's a little bit remarkable. Well, it is a bit remarkable, especially when you look back on it now. Um, but I have to say, um, one of my favourite phrases is that you make your own luck. And I think, you know, there's there, there was clearly Steve Sinclair on the phone to you saying, look, you know, I want you to go and listen to these guys. I want you to do the record, i.e., you know, peace sells, but who's buying? Um, you know, you, you've you've earned that phone call. You've earned the you've earned that right through the work that you've done previously yeah. and knowing how happy the bands are. Um, and I, I I know I know what you mean by it, it feels like luck, but I I just think you know the the quality of the work that you were doing was attracting you know all the right names and and uh, I I mean again one of the one of the groundbreaking productions that you were responsible for for my part and in fact i i even actually um i reviewed the album for metal hammer when it came out because i was doing some bits and pieces for them as a kind of guest reviewer was um uh, extreme aggressions um by creator because that was production wise and sound wise that were that was kind of next level no one saw that coming 
um was that you know was that was that a real conscious decision on behalf of the band i, I guess you're going to say again that look it's it's all about the band but it, it just sounded so different but it also it, it was it was clean but it was heavy it was intense um and to this day i still think it is an absolutely fantastic sounding record um yeah now that one was, was that one didn't have Casey on it. That one was just me going back. And I was the engineer and the producer on that one. Um, well, Creator again, yeah, they're they're an extraordinary band, and they were uh, totally ready to do that record. I mean, they were. I think again, it's catching the band at the right place, the right time in their career, at the right moment. You know, they were peaking in a, in a way they they had they had a peak right then, and in terms of um, of just being tight and having great songs and and really having uh, a defined uh, way of playing. You know, they they had a style, they had a sound, they had a thing, and 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 yeah, we did a good job of capturing it. Um, I don't know. I like that record, and I, I, that's that's one I particularly like. Um, but yeah, I went into it like I always do. So <laughs> I don't <laughs> yeah. know. I don't know. I didn't set out to make a different sounding record. I just I just wanted to make one that was that was good. You know. Yeah, yeah. And um, how do you feel about all the um, all of the various um, remasters uh, coming out? And and of course in. I mean, we talk about there's remasters and there's also some remixes. Obviously, um, P-Cells has, you know, has has come out a number of times, either remastered or remixed. And and, uh, and funnily enough, Extreme Aggression as well, which I, I picked up as a, a remaster. Do you do you um, do you keep abreast of all of these things and give them a listen when they come out? No, no, I don't. I, I certainly, if it's it's the remix, like the Megadeth mixes, I've definitely heard all of that. Um, but um, uh, not necessarily each remaster or something like that. I don't go back and listen to it and critique it and stuff like that. Um, ultimately, um, now I've, I've just in the past few months started getting back into. Um, um, working and mixing um i built a studio in my garage here in ah, portland oregon history is history now, is repeating itself means an acoustically treated room right i've got an acoustically treated room where the low end is good and i've got some decent monitors in there and um and a big computer with a bunch of software on it to make it sound like a console and it's basically you know yeah and um so I can mix in a box now and it sounds good. I figured out how to how to do that and I'm I'm actually looking for work. So if anybody's out there has got a wants their stuff mixed by me, I'm I'm in I'm open for business. <laughs> I haven't done a lot of uh advertising yet, so uh but but I'm getting ready to. Anyway. Hey, um, no, that's good. P Cells is the one record that I would like to get another shot at remixing. And I haven't brought it up with them yet. I want to wait until I have uh, um, a lot of current um, product out there that that shows that I'm uh, uh, that I'm that I'm good at this mixing in the box thing. And uh, I think that I think people would be interested in that. 
um, a modern mix of that record. I mean, there's a whole bunch of, they've got so many different uh, versions of that record that, you know, I think they could sell another one. <laughs> yeah, with I, I look, I, I for one would love to hear the, um, you know, the twenty 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 one Randy Burns mix of, um, uh, of P cells, um, but and also, but also the the, the genre um, uh, of of thrash metal and metal people pay huge attention to the quality of the production on on their albums. You know, it's I and I I do think it's something that is um, uh, incredibly unique. I mean, we put a new album out last year, first time, well, first album for twenty nine years, and the amount of people commenting on the production, the producer was just amazed. He couldn't. He said, "I've got you know, I've got more comments. You know, I've been mentioned in more reviews by you know having done your album than 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 the rest of my career put together." And and I think that and I think that's because you know, thrash fans, metal fans, we we are you know we, a lot of us are real audiophiles, and we really really appreciate the actual you know just the quality of the sounds and the way something is put together. Did you know? Is that something that you were ever you were ever conscious of? Oh yeah, yeah, and our. And I'll say our approach, and I'm talking about working with Casey. Yeah. Um, um, we took uh, what was what was kind of known in the industry then as sort of the the traditional British approach to things. We were kind of purists, and the the basic rule is that you want to put the stuff on the tape such that when you play it back, you can set the console. You can just push the faders up flat, and it's going to sound good. So you don't put anything on there that isn't record quality, and that was our that was our phrase. You know, that's record quality. That can that's good enough. That's a good enough sound. We can go with that. And we knew we were um, cutting edge in terms of um, of the drum sounds, and 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 I had a you know I had some. Uh, I had a, a, a an approach to this. I I rented drums uh, from a drum tech. His name was Drum Doctor, and he brought in these these kits, and he would duplicate the drummer's kit exactly. So if the drummer had, you know, two kicks, two floors, three toms, and uh, you know, um, four cymbals, he would have exactly the same rig. Uh, only his stuff was perfect for recording and you know he did everybody's sessions in town you know he was he was over on the toto sessions he was over on the michael jackson sessions he was over on all all the major label stuff he was the drum tech that was doing he'd have 10 kits out in any one day anyway and then he would come in and tune them and we would get sounds that way so when we started where we started sounded fantastic you know yeah and then we would you know, try to up it from there. And, and, and he would come in and listen to what we had and he would say, can I get a sample of that? Can I sample that kick drum over there? (laughs) So, uh, we, yeah, we really focused on and trying to get, um, really, really, uh, clean and, and powerful, uh, sounds out of this stuff. And, uh, yeah, no, we were, we were totally into, um, uh, 
the sound and 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 the fact that we were creating these uh, uh, these good records by making everything sound really good. Yeah, we were totally focused on that. And and also, I mean, that is um that that that's that's great to hear. And you'll be you'll be you know you'll be pleased to know that um, pleased to know that's well certainly our philosophy still to this day. Um, because ultimately, if you if you start out with sounds that sound like you say record quality when you get when you get just the raw sounds to that level without any you know without without anything it's just the basic sounds then then you know further down the line that everything is going to stand up and everything is going to sound good together we didn't spend a lot of time mixing we pushed the faders up put a little reverb on stuff and get some levels and that was it we didn't we didn't have to muck around with stuff we recorded it the way it was supposed to sound exactly yeah so now looking back at it again i would love to have a crack at some of those records i wonder how many of them have been um uh how many of them have been um uh, converted to digital i mean how many of them did they go and take the 24 track tapes and and convert all those tracks to digital so that they're they're available you know um some of that stuff was long enough long ago that um if we we use a lot of ampex 456 and some of those batches of ampex 456 aren't good anymore so the if the master is if it's a two inch master and it's sitting there and it's been sitting there since 1986 or something uh it may not be any good anymore and it may not be recoverable yeah but if 10 years ago or 15 years ago they said hey you know let's let's take those masters and and convert them to digital so we have the digital files if they thought ahead i i actually have no idea how much of that was done Uh, i would really be curious um yeah it's something i'm curious about because if if they did do that then then there's the option to go back and remix some of that stuff and um that would be fun. Yeah, I mean, knowing knowing how um, even the best record labels, how disorganized and how they have a lack of ability to um, uh, look into the future. <laughs> um, um, hence the uh, the internet being a surprise all those years ago. Um, yeah, I don't think there's been too much um, digitizing done. There's there's many many horror stories of of um, things being lost being destroyed and it's yeah it, it it breaks my heart really um all of the recordings that maybe could have been digitized at one point and as you say have, have unfortunately are on tapes that just aren't savable anymore um right that but that, yeah i mean that would have been that would have been amazing and look, there's one one person i'm all over the map here but going back to peace cells sure. again must have uh, i mean i the drumming performance on that album is just for me right up there with one of the best um do you remember at all what it was like working with um, with gar at the time i i do he was he was incredible and that was the thing i i think his drumming is the thing that makes that record so unique yeah, because he could go from one section to the next section, and it would be, you know, like a different feel and a different 
maybe even a different time signature and a different tempo. And he would make that transition so musical. And there's absolutely, I mean, I don't think you could play a whole lot of those songs. I don't think you could play to a click track. I don't think it would work. Or it would take a lot of time to make it work. But with Gar, he was able to make those transitions and go from one crazy feel to the next. And he was so original. I mean, he did stuff. And again, that has to do with him and Chris Poland coming from the fusion world. So... Uh, no, the drumming was unique, and uh, uh, and I think makes that record uh, what it is because those live performances were exciting. When those guys went out and they were doing the tracking, I mean, it it, it was you know uh, it was mind bending listening to those guys play and make those changes and do those those crazy things they did going from one field to the next, you know so effortlessly and so uh musically it was uh it was it was it was an astonishing thing and we knew and we knew when we were in the studio we knew that we were that this was something really really special and when you were um and how did how did you track them was it was it just were you just taking the drums live and then everybody else on top or were you trying to get as much live as possible um we we went back and fixed the bass, so we, we would we would go for the drum track. We were looking for the drum track, although when those guys played, they were all so good. I mean, Poland and and Dave Ellison, those guys are phenomenal players. You know, they didn't they didn't make a lot of mistakes. They weren't they were all they were so tight. It was it was crazy. So, but anyway, no, we would go back and fix the bass and try to get get it just just so, and uh, and then all the guitars we would we would overdub and double track them and make the double tracks super tight. But all that stuff is double track guitars and it's spot on, and that's why it's punchy too because they they could play so tight and do those double tracks so accurately. And so when they when they punch, you know, you get that dynamic. It, it jumps off the record. And and what was it like? Um, uh, I mean, there's some incredible solo work by by both Chris and Dave on there. Um, what was it? What was it like working with um, with Dave vocally? Um, I'm, I'm I'd be really interested to sort of see what that was like. You know, he he was reluctantly the singer of the band. I think um, he it just came down to it that they they couldn't find the singer they liked, so they used Dave. And 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 he was not um, he was not as confident on that record as he became later. I mean, or or accomplished with it. So he was a little bit uh, he was a little bit unsteady and. Um, uh, he was easy to work with. I mean, he was fine to work with, but I think, I think he knew that was kind of his weak spot. You know, the songs were super strong, but I think he he realized that his his vocals at the time were kind of the the if there was a weak link, that's what it was. Um, and that that must have been. I mean, that really becomes uh, almost like an exercise in psychology when you when you're dealing with somebody in a position like that, right? Because it's yeah. it's yeah. But we got good performances. We you got did good performances out. I mean, he was like I said, he was good to work with. He was 
but but we kind of knew that 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 was kind of the weak spot. The real dynamic between me and Dave was that I was totally enamored with Chris Poland. I was totally blown away by his playing, and it just you know seduced by it. I mean, the guy is extraordinary, and um, and Dave Dave said I had Polonitis. <laughs> you know, like he had seen it before. You know, he knew what this disease was. He'd seen it before. So, and um, you know, uh, I, I, I irritated him by being so enamored with with Poland. I should have, I should have, uh, I should have paid more attention to Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to, to be, be honest with you, well, look, given given the tales you hear about what they were like to work with back then. Um, sounds like you got it. It sounds like you got it pretty easy. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Uh, well, it was kind of crazy. There were, there were, uh, the, you know, Gar and Chris were into heroin at the time. Um, the other, the other guys in the band were experimenting with it, but Gar and Chris were strung out. And there were a couple of days where, you know, you know, when we first discovered this, that, uh, we we found out we couldn't really get to work in a on a particular morning because those guys were sick and and we had to wait for them to find and score some drugs and then we could go and track and uh, so that was a little weird to get used to. It's my first experience with heroin, you know, in a band with heroin, and uh, um, so that was a little bit trying. But uh, I mean, it really didn't affect things that much, except that you know there were a couple of times where they didn't want to work until until they got high and then they get high and then they go play and it'd be great so you know <laughs> it, it was a little strange yeah but, but i won't say i won't say it was like difficult or anything it was just like we got started late a couple of days that's the whole you know that's from my point of view that that was the uh that was the only effect yeah and um and, and, and sorry go on you know, personality-wise, everybody was great to work with in the studio. Those guys were—they were fantastic. It was—it was—it was great, including Dave. Were you um, were you disappointed that you never got a chance to work on any uh, any future Megadeth um, recordings? Yes, yeah, and and you know, um, I there were a couple of reasons for that, but I think the biggest one is that. Um, um, I didn't really, you know, uh, I, I just didn't handle the things right with Dave. So personally, with Dave and I, it was, it was, it, it wasn't the right relationship. Right. Uh, I'll okay. just leave it there. Uh, right. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so it was. It wasn't just the polonitis then. <laughs> well, I think that was the the core of it, but but we didn't, you know we didn't really connect whereas Chris and I became friends you know uh, uh, it just didn't happen that way with Dave right okay and um, yeah well like you said let's um, uh, let's leave it there so um, uh, when's uh, you, you said you started working again um, how how long is it you know how how many years have you had off what have you, what have you been what have you been up to <laughs> um uh, I I worked in computers. I, I worked in the computer industry, and I raised two boys. I have two adult 
uh, sons uh, that have both, you know, gone off to do other things. And, um, <clears throat> and um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I, I spent, I was a parent. And um, I moved my ki- I moved out of Hollywood, moved to Portland, Oregon, which was which was a good place to bring the kids. I didn't want my kids growing up in in L.A. And you know, back in the early '90s, it was really dirty there. The air was terrible, and you know, um, you could really damage your child's uh, lungs by having them grow up near a freeway in L.A. It was just you just didn't want to do it. Yeah. So uh, I moved them up to Portland, and, and that's pretty much it. Just worked in computers and uh, um, done a whole bunch of different things, but software engineering, uh, software architecture. Uh, the last thing I was into was, was doing uh, DevOps, which is sort of automating the software development process. All oh, right. So, so basically, what happened was, whilst you were doing that, music, um, all, all music recording um, became computerized, and you spent years working uh, in the computer industry. So, um, uh, it would seem like a, a kind of marriage made in heaven to come to come back to it, knowing what you know now. Right, and I, I've also I've, I've done a little bit of um, um, uh, I took a couple classes online. Uh, to do um, digital signal processing. So basically what happens in inside the, the, your digital audio workstation when you're working with Pro Tools and you, you stick your plug-in in there and you do something, you know, uh, I, I have a pretty good idea what's happening in there. I, I did some, did some, uh, took some classes and we did some, uh, some, uh, some DSP where we took sounds apart and use Fourier transforms to uh, shift them from the time domain to the frequency domain, and then you buck with them, and then you put it back. And that's pretty much what happens in those uh, plugins that are EQs and compressors and all that stuff. So yeah. um, it's something I'm still interested in, and I, I may pursue uh, working with um, some somebody that makes plugins. Oh well, that'd be uh, well. I mean, I I can assure you that your um your name is uh, still carries a great deal of weight in the in the metal and the and and the thrash community. Um, and uh, I've got a I've got a whole bunch of questions from subscribers here. Um, so don't go anywhere. That is that's the end of the main the main interview. So I'm going to thank you for that. But I've, I'm going to keep you for some um, right. for some uh, some questions if you don't mind. Sure. And what that means is patrons get their own 25-minute podcast where they get to hear all of their questions answered by the great man himself. So if you want to have access to uh, guests and to be able to ask them questions, all you need to do is tap the link that says support this podcast in the podcast description and that will take you straight to Patreon, $5 a month, fill your boots. There is thousands of, well, hundreds of posts already there that you can get stuck into and you get all sorts of other bits and pieces as well. So feel free to sign up anytime you like anyway um that was so much fun um and and i have to say that that going on and doing the the patreon questions was great as well but um yeah i mean what a guy he has worked on so many amazing fucking albums it's untrue i mean 
I and I couldn't believe it. I didn't realise that um, he was on that he he worked on the first Suicidals album, um, which is just incredible. I I I always associated with him, you know, very much with with metal. Well, you know, peace sells, but who's buying for a start? Um, but I and I completely forgotten that he was on that. So that's if I ever knew. I don't think I ever knew to be honest. But it was a real trip down memory lane, just talking about you know albums that are that are so old but still ingrained on my memory, and I'm sure the memory of many of you as well. Things like Extreme Aggressions, you know, when that came out, it's like, whoa, check out that production, and it's like, you know, some people were like, oh, I don't know, it's not, it doesn't sound like Creator, and and for me, it was just like, oh, this sounds like Creator Mark too. This is this is fucking brilliant. But the, just the way back in those days um, that uh, a producer who actually understood thrash metal was absolutely key. And as you hear him say there, you know, it's very much about the fact that he knew these bands knew how they wanted to sound. So he just helped them to sound how they wanted to sound. And I totally identify with that because in the, back in those early days, you know, people just didn't know how to deal with it. And you, you'd kind of tell them to do things in the studio, and that's how we want it to sound. And and you'd end up having arguments because they were like, "Well, no, things aren't done like that, and things shouldn't sound like that." You know, and if it's metal and if it's rock, you put reverb on everything to make it sound big. And it's like, no, because the key to thrash is having it dry and oh, you know, whatever. I'm rambling, but um, look, I hope you really enjoyed that. Um, just a quick hour there um, for you to spend time with Randy Burns between Christmas and New Year, or of course, whenever you're listening to this. You know, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm saying that because this is when it's coming out, but as always, this could be listened to by anyone from anywhere at any time. And if that's you, well, welcome. This was a Christmas special from 2020. That's right, the year of the pandemic. That year that we all look to, uh, we all like to call a bag of cunts basically this year what a sack of shit what have we found out we found out that some of our friends are complete fucking nut jobs and will believe anything we've also found out that some of our friends are a little bit crazy we found out that some of our friends and family are really cool and have dealt with lockdown and all sorts really well and others haven't. We found out how to exist through total and sheer boredom. We found out what it's like to exist on no money. We've also found out what it's like to realise that you have to wear a mask wherever you go. It's shit, but that's the way life is at the moment. So if you are listening to this well past the pandemic, believe you and me, it was every bit as shit as everybody tells you. It really fucking is. But we'll get through it. It could have been a lot worse. Personally, I've uh, I've managed to well, I've now been slightly touched by um, by the virus, having um, lost a, a friend of a friend um, to COVID nineteen. Um, thirty two years old. Thirty two years old. No underlying health conditions, but the motherfucker just took him out. Um, so look. I don't want that to happen to anybody, certainly not to anybody listening to this podcast. So please do take care of yourselves. Everybody, look after yourselves. 2021 should be a massive, massive improvement. So to all of you listening to this, have a great Christmas, New Year, 2021. And I will speak to you again very soon.